Ugh, our 20s. The drunk dialing, the forgetting to wash our face at night, and yes, neglecting our teeth. Don't do that last one. You only get one set of teeth, so you need to protect them. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface and locks in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. Pronamel also makes a new mouthwash, which helps to repair acid-weakened enamel beyond brushing alone. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair any where you buy your toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit pronamel.com today. Conair is spreading love and celebrating women, not just on International Women's Day, but every day with Conair Girl Bomb. Girl Bomb is their new line of powerful hair removal tools made just for us. Whether it's the silky smooth skin or the empowering confidence boost you get, Conair Girl Bomb is here to amp up those positive vibes with some self care. So to all the beautiful women out there, keep shining, keep being you, and treat yourself to some Conair Girl Bomb magic. You deserve it. Now available at Walgreens. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Yes. Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back to The Psychology of Your 20s, the podcast where we talk through some of the big life changes and transitions of our 20s and what they mean for our psychology. Hello everybody, welcome back to the show, welcome back to another episode, new listeners, old listeners, it is so amazing to have you here, thank you for tuning in for another episode of the psychology of your 20s, the podcast where we break down some of the psychology behind the major events and situations and experiences of our 20s. It is so great to have you here. Thank you again for deciding to listen wherever you are in the world. Today we're going to talk about one of my most requested topics. I get people asking me for this all the time and I think it is such a valuable episode to do and I thought as many of our listeners in the US had Thanksgiving this weekend and we're approaching the holiday season it's an important episode to do as we spend more time with our families and feel obligated to extend and to kind of engage with all of our family members and more often than not that means our parents so this is an episode for those who are perhaps questioning the adult relationship or even the childhood relationship they had with their families, the good, the bad, the ugly. Most of us, we are lucky enough to have secure, healthy relationships with our parents, but not every parental relationship is perfect. And that's what we're discussing today, the psychology of narcissistic and toxic parents. I will say before we get started, this episode is primarily going to cover emotional abuse. As we know, abuse can come in many forms and each is equally as harmful and painful as the next and deserves their own attention. But today we're going to be talking about 
instances of emotional abuse and the emotional damage that can be inflicted by unhealthy parenting styles. And to add to this, I do just want to make a quick disclaimer before we begin and say that we are talking about some topics, situations, concepts that can and will be distressing for some people. So if, to- if you know, topics concerning toxic or even abusive family dynamics and parenting are something that you know can cause distress or trigger you, please just take a moment to reflect on whether this episode is something you need to hear today. I will also say this is a highly nuanced topic and one that would take many, many episodes to cover if we wanted to do a comprehensive sweep and a comprehensive deep dive, but sadly we don't have the time for that today. And as always, my intention with these episodes is to give you the most important parts of the research and the psychology behind these experiences and the realizations of our 20s. And one of these, one that people ask me about quite a bit, is the adult relationship we begin to have with our parents as we gain independence and create our own lives during this decade. Often as we enter our 20s, we will see a slow or sometimes sudden shift in the dynamics we have with our parents and our caregivers and a recognition, perhaps, of some of the mistakes they may have made when raising us, mistakes that now impact us as adults. Um, And not always just mistakes, but intentional kind of parenting styles that they may have adopted that now we have the self-awareness to realize may have negatively impacted us. And this can be a really traumatic and confusing consequential realization as we grow into our own versions of ourselves and think about what we may want for our futures whether that's kids or deciding not to have kids or the many other options our 20s are obviously a period of immense self-reflection and it's often the time where we come to terms with this understanding that our parents much like us are people and they have their own beliefs their own past their own regrets their own flaws And it may also be a period in which we recognize that our parents maybe accidentally, often not intentionally, have harmed us or caused certain habits or patterns of behavior within us based on the decisions they made when they were raising us. And this recognition can bring about quite a bit of self-reflection internally as we address all of the things that come along with that, some of the blame, some of the shame. And I think one thing that's important to know and consider as we approach this period is the type of parents we may have had and their unique parenting styles. Specifically, what are the consequences and impact that these unique styles will and do have on our emotional and mental well-being? I think it goes without saying that our parents, our caregivers, the ones that we have in childhood, they really greatly impact on our future experiences and mental state. For the majority of our infancy and our childhood and even our early teens, we are entirely dependent on them for everything, for safety, for food, for compassion and for confidence. We trust them and and we really need them. And even beyond that, the family that we're born into, it's perhaps like the single most important factor in determining our life trajectory. And heaps of studies have confirmed this There was one in particular that I found while researching this episode. It's a longitudinal study conducted in the US and it followed nearly 800 school children from the time of birth until they were 25. And they found that the family you're born into often determines your life path and where you end up, not just, you know, your income bracket 
and your education and opportunities, but also the trauma you hold, the beliefs, the values you have, and many aspects of your long-term health. If you're listening to this having had or having experienced a toxic, narcissistic or abusive caregiving environment or childhood, I do want to say it's not all doom and gloom. Whilst, you know, a parenting approach adopted by our caregivers and our childhood environment is really crucial, it is mitigated by many other important determinants. And as always, we want to take a strengths-based approach during these episodes. We want to see the future, see the light, see the opportunities that we have to grow from our experiences, not just the ones we have in our 20s. So there is definitely going to be a discussion at the end of this episode about what we can do to try and, you know, to navigate our adult relationship with our parents and how do we overcome perhaps an abusive or toxic or narcissistic caregiving environment when we were children. So let's dive in into, you know, what a parent, a toxic parenting style or a toxic caregiving environment might look like and some of the impacts, but also how we can move forward. So let's get straight into it. What exactly is toxic parenting as opposed to healthy, secure parenting and a healthy, secure childhood environment, a healthy, secure upbringing? If you listen to the episode on overcoming childhood trauma, We delve much deeper into this topic in that episode, but to give those an overview who may have not had the time to listen to that, essentially a healthy childhood environment is one that is free of trauma, one that is free of not necessarily struggle, um, but one that is supportive in which we feel like the people who surround us, particularly our parents, are providing our needs and the needs that we essentially need met. Um, it's not necessarily one that is free of trauma. It's one that that is, is an environment of support, whereas a toxic childhood environment might be one in which your needs aren't met emotionally, physically, socially, mentally, and it's often defined by some level of trauma. And I think when we think about trauma, we often think about really major events like a war or a massive accident or a massive uh, you know, injury or illness or, or a death. That's not always necessarily the case. When we talk more about toxic parenting, we'll see that even just an unstable and negative upbringing and, and parental environment is enough to create PTSD and long-term trauma. So essentially, toxic parenting, it's poor parenting um, in which the relationship that a parent and child has is not healthy, is not conducive to collaboration and to support and to unconditional love, which is, I think, something every child really, really needs. Um, And it's not always the parent's fault, you know, like we'll talk about this a lot more later. Sometimes it's because of generational trauma and generational learnings and cultural and societal expectations. But essentially toxic parenting results in an inability for a child to trust their parent. Um, For a child to go to their parent might be because that parent is neglecting their needs, especially their emotional needs. Um, And there might even be instances of abuse, not just physical, but every other kind. Adults who have toxic parents and a toxic relationship with their parents, normally they're not even able to recognize that those behaviors were inherently wrong or miscalculated, or even sometimes cruel until they're older, until they're in 
their 20s and often they'll end up with psychological and, and behavioural issues or damage that although they may seem like this well perfect put together functioning person internally and unconsciously that's not always the case and that's why this can bring along with it a cycle of negative thinking of being overcritical to ourselves of feeling guilt and shame. A lot of the research done on toxic and particularly narcissistic parenting came from the 1900s, so last century, and obviously things have come a long way when we think about the emergence of social media and the internet, like the dynamics that children have with their parents now are completely changed. Children are growing up so much quicker. Like I always see these TikToks of people being like, oh, you know, when I was in middle school or when I was 13, like this is what I looked like versus what children these days look like. And it's obviously a massive comparison. And all there is, although there is heaps of research into how social media is kind of disrupting the dynamic that children and parents have, is making children kind of mature faster, it's still something that we don't have many like long-term studies and long-term research into. But let's dive into this early research. We know that anecdotally, different parents have different ways of parenting and providing for their children's needs, sometimes not providing for their children's needs. A parenting style, it's essentially, it's a psychological construct that outlines the specific behaviours and characteristics that define what a person and what a parent deems as appropriate or necessary when raising a child. And these practices are formed in part by by culture, by the environment that they live in, societal expectations, and of course, generational learning, and at times, generational trauma. If there is one researcher, one psychologist, whose name it is important to remember from this episode, it's Diana Bormerin. She was basically like the founder of parental psychology. I'm not sure if that's a discipline, but basically research into the psychology behind why parents and why people raise their children's their children differently. And she observed children across many different kind of generations and environments and cultures. And she found what she considers to be the four basic elements that help shape successful parenting. And they're kind of these contradictory ways of treating a child. There's responsiveness versus unresponsiveness and demanding versus demanding versus undemanding, sorry, demanding versus undemanding. And these kind of two spectrums and four characteristics determine the type of parent that you and I may have had. Parental responsiveness, essentially that refers to the degree to which a parent is willing to respond to their child's needs in a supportive and accepting manner, in a way that is conducive to input from their child and it's conducive to long-term emotional support and long-term growth in a healthy, sustainable relationship built on on trust and on respect. Parental demandingness refers to the rules which a parent places on their child, the amount of discipline they enact, how strict they are, what they expect of their child, and the repercussions that follow these rules if they're broken. So from this, we can identify four different styles of parenting And I want you to listen to these. So there's four and see if any of the traits here are recognizable. See if you can identify your parents 
in these kind of profiles. I'm not sure if this is like the healthiest exercise, but it's an interesting one, right? To see where your parents and where your caregivers and where your family might sit on the spectrum. So the four styles are authoritative and authoritarian. Yes, they're different. <laughs> um, authoritative, authoritarian, neglectful, and indulgent slash permissive. So the first one, authoritarian. These parents are quite demanding, but they're not responsive. And a lot, a lot of research has been done into the children of these parents and how a lot of them end up becoming criminal offenders. Obviously not all of them become, and you know, it's it's obviously contributed by other circumstances and by other lifestyle factors, but often these children can turn into people that aren't able to see themselves as being loved and unable to see themselves reflected or respected in society. These parents are big believers in setting rules for their children to follow, but not so much interested in listening to their children, seeing their children as uh, independent people or taking their view into consideration. They often believe that children are best to be you know, seen and not heard. They're not willing to apologize for their actions or listen to their children. Often, you know, it's that whole age old, like, because I said so explanation for their decisions. And we can kind of see that that doesn't leave much room for a constructive, two-sided relationship. And the result is these children often grow up to not only be quite anxious, but often quite rebellious, or they might find it difficult to establish boundaries for themselves because their parents have always done it for them. They've grown up in this really strict environment they're used to obeying rather than leading it can also result in these children growing up to be quite I don't like the word undisciplined but like rebellious that's not necessarily a bad thing right like maybe they grow up to be really creative or to be really free thinking because they're pushing back against the restrictiveness of their parental environment of their upbringing so that was authoritarian now let's talk about authoritative these parents have rules and they have consequences for the actions of their children, but they also take their children's opinion into account. So they validate their children's feelings, but making it clear, you know, that we are in charge. We are the adult. We are the parent. That's kind of the lay of the land. So if you're listening to this and thinking, oh, my God, that sounds like my parents, that's probably the case. It is the most prominent parenting style, and it's also backed by heaps of experts and heaps of research that it's the most developmentally healthy and effective parenting style because these parents they put a lot of effort into creating and maintaining a positive relationship with their child not just from this like um, this position of them being in charge and the child being inferior like there isn't this weird like weird strange hierarchy of the child will always be below them and should take whatever they hand down to them right they want communication they want honesty and they want their children's input. Like I said, the most healthy and effective parenting style because children are both given the structure and safety that they need, but also the independence and respect of their emotional needs. Next up, we have permissive. So permissive parents, they're super loving, right? They're super affectionate, super accepting, but they don't make many demands of their children. They are very lenient. Um, they don't really want to interfere they don't really want to give their children boundaries or rules. That's totally fine as long as you're not harming your child. But there are some ways in which this does hurt them in the long term. Because these parents don't want to, you know, they tend to avoid conflict with their children. They don't tend to set up 
uh, routine rules and routine boundaries, um, they often result in children who, you know, have a bit too much freedom. They're without discipline that is often needed. They might struggle academically and struggle to understand boundaries. But it's also a healthy parenting style in the way that they encourage their kids to talk about issues. Um, they don't make their children, you know, beg for love or, or beg for compliments or beg for affection. So that's the third type. And the final is the one that we're going to focus on for the remainder of this episode. It is the toxic parenting style. It is perhaps the worst and it's called uninvolved. And this is the final parenting style, perhaps the most dangerous and the most linked to narcissistic parenting, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. Uninvolved parents, they demand almost nothing, but they give nothing in return. So uninvolved parents, they expect, you know, their kids to raise themselves, to have like ultimate, often neglectful, neglectful level of independence. They don't set expectations. They don't set boundaries or consequences. They may also spend a lot of time away from home. Um, they might not even put energy into their children's basic needs. Sometimes this isn't their fault. Like we really need to be considerate when we talk about these different parenting styles of the circumstances and external factors that we don't really know anything about. But this is just a typical profile of what a psychologist or, or a therapist or someone in the community might see if they were looking at an uninvolved parent. It basically kind of verges on the territory of neglect. Um, and of course, they might have another issue at play, right? You know, something that interferes with their ability to look after their child. Maybe they have um, an issue with addiction or mental health problems, a lack of education, severe financial stress that they need to kind of manage first before they can take care of their children. But it's not a very loving environment. The child doesn't feel cared for. Um, they don't feel like their parents invest in them. You know, they might not ask their kids about school or sporting games or how their days were. And we can see how detrimental and harmful this is going to be. Not having someone who cares about us um, can create a really unloving environment where we don't feel as children like we are emotionally supported. We aren't able to trust. We don't feel like we have someone who cares about us. Like, I don't know, when I was researching this, all I could think about was like, I don't know, like a tiny helpless child just wanting someone to ask them how their day was or help them with their homework. Makes my heart ache, you know, so much. But it does happen. Um, it does happen, as we said, like most parents will fall into that kind of one of those four categories. So if that was you, I'm really sorry um, if that was your experience. But we'll talk about more how that's, you know, not really the end of the line. That's not really the end of our lives. We know that these four styles are not exhaustive. You know, there are so many other different styles. There's slow parenting, positive parenting, I don't know, gentle parenting. That's super popular these days. Um, another cute one that I learned when I was at uni was called dolphin parenting. I think this is like, the, it's so sweet. Um, it's basically described as a type of parenting that involves being almost like a friend to one's child, super playful and social and focused on independence. Like the, I always get like the visual of like, the dolphin like mum and dad or like parent out in the open waters and like their little baby dolphin like hanging out beside them going off doing their own thing but always coming back right being playful being like jubilant I don't know it's quite cute but there are other types not dolphin parenting that aren't 
so cute and that I want to focus on for the rest of this episode. So one particular parent that has gotten a lot of attention is the narcissistic parent. I think this is so interesting but also can be quite disturbing. So obviously we all know that narcissistic people, they exist in society. In fact, there are studies that even suggest like one in 200 people have narcissism. And yeah, it's a disorder. It's not something that people can control or that they willingly choose to be, but the behaviors of a narcissist nonetheless can be incredibly harmful. So what happens when these people have children? And how do we identify if our parent might be a narcissistic parent, not just a narcissistic person, but allow those kind of overall attitudes bleed into how they treat their children. Let's give a brief definition of narcissism before we get into it. We have an episode on this, on the psychology of narcissism, if you're interested, but if you do need a refresher, basically a narcissist is a person who has an excessive interest or admiration of themselves Um, and isn't able to see the point of view of others. Everyone is obviously a little bit narcissistic. We have good days, we have bad days. It's part of being a human, like all traits are. Um, And often as adolescents, we even go through a period developmentally where we have an exaggerated sense of self. When narcissism begins to interfere with how a person functions though, and how they function at home, at work, at school, that's when it's problematic And that's when it veers into the realm of a personality disorder rather than just a trait. So these people, they have an unreasonably high sense of their own self-importance, but in kind of conjunction with that and alongside that, they also have really low levels of empathy and can often lash out when they feel that people aren't respecting them or don't admire them. And they might be, you know, disappointed when they're not given special favours, when people don't meet their needs. And they find their relationships, including with their children, if they have them, to be really unfulfilling because they want so much from the other person. So let's answer that question we had before. What happens when these people become parents? So there was two researchers out of the University of Georgia in the US who have focused on this for quite some time. They're essentially experts in narcissism and what they found is that when narcissists have children often they lose interest in their children entirely and look for other sources of validation often leading to that parenting style we kind of just just discussed like the uninvolved parent but to an added degree others tend to view their children as a reflection of themselves they become hyper involved and controlling they see their children as an opportunity for self-advancement rather than just as a child, as someone who was a human who was growing. And as per their self-seeking tendencies, they often place a lot of value on how a child can contribute to their status and their appearance and how people see them, rather than the most important thing being how that child is, how they are mentally, how they're going. I know it sounds so basic, but like, A child should be allowed to be a child without the expectations of a parent kind of like veering down on them and creating a toxic environment. They have really high expectations of their children. Those of the those of the narcissistic parents who don't, you know, completely abandon them when they get kind of bored 
and they push their kids to excel in in everything they believe that their children are special and deserving of special opportunities and privileges but they refuse to tolerate anything less than perfection from their own child so this sometimes leads into what is called narcissistic parental abuse and this involves parents who excessively need admiration or attention at an enormous cost to their child's development and well-being they become obsessed obsessed with what their child can do for them how their child's you know successes and accolades and everything else to do with them their looks will reflect on them and it may be done subconsciously the goal of narcissistic abuse isn't always known consciously to the person who is instigating it but essentially when we see a narcissistic parent who is acting in this way they the ultimate kind of goal the ultimate thing that they have in mind uh, based on this kind of disordered personality they have is to be in control and is to be the most important person in the room so they're willing to do anything to make their child comply with how they think their lives should go Um, and they kind of place themselves as the caregiver at the center of the relationship that rather than the child and I think we can all agree that it should be the child in in, in childhood the victims of narcissistic parental abuse um, if you've been through this if you've had a parent who is so obsessed with your successes so obsessed with what you can do for them but also so focused on themselves so focused in what other people think of you and think of and think of them and think of your family or perhaps they just don't care about you at all in favor of their own careers or in favor of um, you know their own kind of vision and external appearance typically what happens is people who've suffered through this they feel ashamed they feel unimportant they feel insignificant and sometimes they feel responsible for the abusive behavior that they kind of were subjected to often emotionally abusive behavior because narcissists are really great at twisting a narrative so that they are never the villain they are always kind of the hero they are always the the godlike person who has all these amazing qualities and who rises above it was your fault you're the reason this happened because you failed to impress them and meet their standards and you know there are different types of narcissistic parental abuse it can be physical psychological emotional you know including things like verbal insults or gaslighting harsh criticisms mind games like passive aggressiveness silent treatment like the list goes on and on and on and you know sometimes I think there is this weird comparison in psychology and in therapy that like there is this kind of spectrum of abuse and at one end is like the things we typically really cringe over in and make us really, you know, distressed and feel really uncomfortable, which is sexual and physical abuse. And then, you know, there's things down the other end, like silent treatment and passive aggressiveness might not seem as detrimental, but oh my goodness, I think that is entirely false. They absolutely are because they teach a child that they are alone, that they cannot trust their parents, that they are not valued, that they are not cared for, that they're invisible. And many behaviours that are sometimes instituted by narcissistic parents are overlooked by teachers in general society because they look good. Narcissists are so great at making the external appearance of their parenting style look good. You know, it might seem beneficial to be encouraging your child to achieve specific goals and to 
groom your child to be seen as like the golden pupil and, and the golden child but it might also be narcissistic parental abuse I do just want to say not all people who are narcissists go on to treat their children as we have described and it's really rare that this would be or that you have experienced this type of parent but it doesn't mean it doesn't happen and it doesn't mean that when it does it's quite harmful um just because perhaps your parent might fit some of these descriptions it doesn't mean that they were abusive narcissistic parents I think it's important to also consider a lot of other things um and to really seek professional help and professional opinion if you are suddenly identifying attributes of your parents in these kind of descriptions but once again like this parental style it's so disruptive it's so dysfunctional and it can be really really harmful in the long term I just want to stress as well like if this is something that you can relate to it's not some kind of like death sentence like a sign of your certificate like that's the end of their life they're never going to be well they're never going to be well-rounded or develop like or develop properly absolutely not like I said at the beginning we're all about like a strength-based narrative on this show and the actions that we can take small and significant to overcome the difficulty the difficulties we are all going to experience at some stage in our lives so I also want to talk about firstly some of the impacts and ways to identify the impacts that these parenting styles might have inflicted on us in the long term but also the strategies and the mechanisms that we can adopt to kind of rise above the struggles and the harms that come along with toxic and narcissistic parenting styles. There has obviously been a lot of research into the impacts of toxic and narcissistic parenting and parents during our upbringing on the behaviours that we bring into adulthood. It's a huge part of social psychology to understand how our interpersonal relationships, including those that we have with our caregivers, ultimately kind of sets up our life trajectory in many ways. It can impact everything from the partners we choose to our career paths, our mental and emotional health and the company we keep. Studies have found that children of narcissistic parents have significantly higher rates of depression and lower self-esteem during adulthood compared to those who didn't perceive their parents or their caregivers to be narcissistic. Often a parent's lack of empathy towards their child contributes to this. You know, the child's own desires are denied, their feelings are restrained, their emotional well-being is ignored for kind of the parent's perceived higher goal and higher desire to be perceived for them to be perceived as as well liked for them to be perceived as successful often using their child as kind of a tool or a resource to get them there children of narcissistic parents they're taught to submit they're taught to conform and it causes them to often lose touch of themselves as individuals and deny the parts of their individuality that they might value. And this can lead to the child possessing, as in adulthood, often few memories of feeling appreciated or loved by, them parent, by their parents for being themselves, because they tend to associate the love and appreciation they receive from their parents 
with conformity and with success. You may also experience, you know, chronic stress if you've had toxic parents and other health problems because you're used to living in an environment in which you were neglected and which in which love was not a constant. Uh, it can also involve self-sabotaging uh, if it's normal for you to be surrounded by toxic people because of the lessons and the habits you've picked up from your parents you might struggle setting boundaries because you know if we think about the authoritarian parent like they always did that for you we talked about this before right they set up this incredibly strict structure around you that you had to obey and follow so when you're an adult when you live on your own when you go out and do your own thing you no longer have that kind of can, you no longer have that environment, that environment that's normal to you, that feels normal to you to go back to. So you've really struggled to set boundaries within your life because someone else has always, you know, done that for you, has always done that in the past. I think people with dysfunctional relationships with their parents might also struggle with a lot of other things, right? They might struggle with trusting themselves, with their self-esteem, with their confidence, and studies have even suggested that our upbringing ultimately determines the people that we find attractive, the people that we inevitably date or form long-term partnerships with. It's important to remember that the first example of a romantic relationship and cohabitation that a children that a child will often see is that of their parents or the couple that they live with. This is a really crucial way that our environment as a child and our, our parenting and upbringing environment will have a major influence on some really important life decisions. What we see will affect what we expect from our own relationships and it can influence our actions, you know, years down the line, ages into the future, because our experiences in our upbringing, what we observe, what we expect is going to influence how we perceive romantic love and choose a partner. So there are two theories around the impact of our parents on the partners we choose. The first is that we tend to choose partners and relationships that satisfy something we didn't have as a child, which sounds like a good thing, right? You know, when we're able to recognize, you know, like I didn't have security and consistency as a child because my parent was uninvolved or neglectful, we'll seek out a partner that treats us that way. But often when what sometimes psycho psychologists and therapists see is when someone obtains that, it's really hard for them to let that go and they can become hyper-dependent on that person because they've kind of given them everything they never had. The other kind of theory is that we choose partners that mimic the relationships that we have with our caregivers so if we had a narcissistic parent who we always had to impress whose love was conditional on our successes and our accolades and the compliments and admiration we had for them if we had parents who required a lot of praise and didn't have much empathy for our feelings this might be what we seek in a romantic partner and the toxic relationship that we have with our parents evolves into a toxic romantic relationship in adulthood. Obviously, this is not always the case, and it also doesn't have to be. The long-term impacts of toxic and narcissistic family and parenting environments can be mitigated and can be avoided. 
the parents we have are not the only determinants of the lives that we will lead. You know, the saying goes, it takes a village. And that definitely applies in this situation. The love we receive from other family members, like a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, from our teachers, from our mentors, from our friends, the support from our community, the validation from activities beyond our families, like school or sports or church, if you attend, all of these can mitigate and protect us against the negative consequences of growing up with a toxic or narcissistic parent. And we also have a choice in many ways in determining the habits and the decisions that can bring us comfort and can allow us to heal. So I want to talk through some things that you can do if you've experienced this kind of upbringing or you've suffered through narcissistic parental abuse to overcome this situation, to kind of move past the experiences of your childhood. Firstly, it's important to mourn what you didn't have. Sometimes we actually need to sit in the grief and sit in the resentment and the emotion that we have for a little while before we can move forward. If we don't take time in early adulthood to really recognize the feelings we have towards our parents, the resentment, the blame, the guilt, even sometimes that we have, it just ends up being suppressed. And with suppression, there's a lack of recognition. You're not able to work on something or fix something that you can't acknowledge or understand yourself. So it is important to mourn what you didn't have. It's important to sit with the grief of the what ifs, the grief of the other possibilities. Um, and hopefully kind of come to terms with the fact that this happened, this was your experience, but it doesn't mean that you can't live a really happy and quality life. The other just essential, essential feature of moving moving towards a healthy relationship with a parent who may have treated you this way, if that's something you want, is to set boundaries. You know, you might benefit from some distance between you and a narcissistic or toxic parent. You might want to ensure that you establish your non-negotiables. You know, if your parent is constantly picking on you or saying things that make you uncomfortable, you're an adult. You know, as part of it as it is because of that controlling environment they may have built when you're a child, you don't have to put up with that. You don't have to depend on them anymore for their support. So set up non-negotiables, things that you won't tolerate from your family. You know, maybe you won't tolerate them showing up unexpectedly or visiting you or making unsolicited comments or judgments about your life choices. You can also ask that they don't have input into your life choices that, you know, there's sometimes there are these crossroads, right, where we can choose whether we want to burrow further into familial and parental control or forge our own path. Often a narcissistic parent might attempt to kind of keep us in their control and complying through financial support and financial assistance, through gifts, through manipulation and gaslighting. So do some of that work with a therapist or with a professional to identify what habits and what patterns of behavior your parent often does to get you back in, to bring you back into the fold and write them down. Make sure you recognize them and you identify what it is about those behaviors that A, makes you uncomfortable, that B, is quite manipulative and which C, can be avoided and which you can set up boundaries to prevent from happening because you do have to 
essentially, and as hard as it is, take some kind of ownership to protect your own peace. The other thing we've talked about here that definitely needs addressing is the role of generational trauma that goes back decades and centuries and generations in kind of determining how a parent chooses to raise their child or often doesn't even choose to raise their child. It's something that's unconscious, right? They don't necessarily choose to harm the children they bring into the world. They don't choose to be narcissistic. They don't choose to be neglectful or uninvolved. Um, So sometimes we owe it to ourselves to, you know, work on ending the cycle of intergenerational trauma and intergenerational habits and learning, even if we don't plan on having kids ourselves. You know, the relationship we have with our caregivers, with our family, with our parents um, impacts all other relationships, especially those we may have with our own kids. And if you don't have you know, if you don't plan on having kids in the future, the people that we choose to nurture and bring into our lives. So I think it's important that once you've identified that this is a cycle that, you know, you've kind of been brought into, you somewhat have a duty to put a stop to it and to address the trauma and the significant things that have happened in your past that your parents and your caregivers may not have had the bandwidth or the resources or the energy to deal with. I think it's important that if you've gone through this experience, if you can identify or relate to anything we've talked about today, you discuss that the impact of that with people that you trust, people that love you, and you identify and relate to what your inner child, your younger self missed out on or would have wanted from a parent and emulate that and how how you treat the people you care about, how you treat the the people that you nurture in your lives. Create an an environment and create relationships that make you feel safe. You know, it's it's all about you now. You are allowed to be selfish and you're allowed to put yourself first, even if your parents and your family don't see it that way. And talk to a professional who can give you advice and address any of the long-term psychological and emotional harms or insecurities that this upbringing may have caused. Finally, it might sound controversial, um, but it's important, I think, to forgive. Now, I know in instances of abuse, that is a lot easier said than done. And you don't always have to do that. You know, if this is not something for you, if you don't think you can forgive, if it's going to take too much mental energy, that is totally fine. You are allowed to be selfish and you're allowed to choose what you want to do with your life and make the decisions that are most appropriate for you but I think remember that you're not forgiving your parents or these people as a favor or an act of kindness to them or so that they can live their lives guilt-free you're forgiving these people for yourself so that you can be released from a cycle of, of shame and trauma and move forward without as much resentment and emotional baggage so forgive but don't forget if you related to any of this today um I don't want to say I'm sorry because I don't want to you know make you feel like you're being pitied but I do want to say you're incredibly strong and I'm proud of you for listening to this episode and getting to know more about some of the psychology behind why our we if you know if you've had a narcissistic or a toxic parent why they may have acted this way, why their behavior may have been this way, 
And I think it's important knowledge and an important kind of understanding to bring into the holiday season as we feel pressure to see our families, to reconnect, to spend time with them. And if you've gone through the process of establishing boundaries um, for the right reasons and for reasons that you think are fair, make sure you stick to them, right? Like these parents and, and these people as we've described, have many ways of, of leveraging their role as our parent and their role as kind of the mature, superior person in the relationship to their advantage. So I think it's an important reminder around the holiday season that you're allowed to be selfish and do what's best for you if you've found yourself in this environment. I also want to say thank you so much for listening. Um, if you're still here, if you're still with me, thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for listening to another episode. It was so great to have you along for the ride, to learn some more about this concept and experience and these feelings and realizations that we have in our 20s. If you feel called to do so, or if this episode benefited you in any way, please feel free to leave a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening right now. It really helps the show to grow and to reach new people. Um, and thank you. Thank you again. I feel so blessed to have people who want to listen to this content and want to hear about these topics. I think they are so important and so fascinating. So thank you for coming on board for the ride. And I will see you next week for another episode of The Psychology of Your 20s. Ugh, our 20s. The drunk dialing, the forgetting to wash our face at night, and yes, neglecting our teeth. Don't do that last one. You only get one set of teeth, so you need to protect them. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface and locks in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. Pronamel also makes a new mouthwash, which helps to repair acid-weakened enamel beyond brushing alone. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy your toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit pronamel.com today. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Yes. Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new podcast, Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. So in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about marriage, divorce, my family, my career. I'm also going to be talking a lot about cancer, the ups and the downs, everything that I've learned from it. It's going to be a wild ride. So listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.